and welcome to Boundary Objects podcast episode two, the next in a series of fortnightly adventures in being an early career researcher. <laughs> this week we're going to be thinking about publication, which is a very important aspect of being an early career researcher and consumes you with thoughts of, you know, how do you get your stuff into print, process of, of going about it, who do you need to know about um, in order to help that process, sort of questions around that. Um, I'm going to interview Amy about getting her work um, published as a book and she's going to talk to me about being a books review editor for Museum and Society. So shall we get started Amy? Excellent. So you're going to ask me questions first? Yes, sorry I should say I'm actually... That's okay. I'm Kerry Jones, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) I okay. introduce myself. Um, And this is Amy Part. Hello. (laughs) Right, so... Amy, I'm going to ask you some questions about the process of turning your PhD into a book. Okay. A process which I haven't done myself, so I've got loads of questions to ask you about okay. it. My first question would be, how does this work? You know, how do you, what is the first thing that you go through when you think, I want to turn my PhD into a book? Okay. Well, thinking about it from my own perspective, really, I, I was, I wouldn't say under pre- 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 pressure, but it had been suggested to me by my PhD supervisor mm. that I get it into print. And there had been a conversation between him and uh, one of the editors at Ashgate's, actually while I was doing my PhD, and she had expressed a tentative interest in it then. But immediately after finishing, I had a pretty bad Viva experience, which actually, um, for anyone who's waiting for their Viva that's actually quite an unusual experience I think but it it, it wasn't a very Mm. very good good experience and I came away from that feeling very disheartened and and demotivated and uh, generally um, of the opinion that my research was quite rubbish really which was quite sad really because I'd Mm. gone into it feeling quite quietly confident that it was okay you know not brilliant but good enough and I was quite As proud of it. Do, yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I, it took a bit of a battering. Um, so it took me, I think, probably eighteen months before I could even look at it without feeling a bit sick. And it was about two years uh, after graduating, two and a bit years, when I actually put in the initial proposal. Okay. So writing a proposal to publisher, how did you really have to sell yourself on the book? How did you go about? you know framing it so okay so actually it seems like a really frightening prospect trying to do that book proposal Mm. but most of the publishers and certainly all the publishers I looked at have really clear instructions on their websites so they have instructions for authors setting out really clearly what kind of information you need to provide them Mm. with Um, and so it's things like an abstract or a summary which you already have because that's already in your thesis, a list of uh, chapters, which Mm -hmm. again you'll already have. Um, You might need to provide some information about some of your key arguments. Again, you already have that. You can probably really write that all off the top of your head or cut it and paste it from from your thesis or uh, documentation you already have. Where it gets a little bit more difficult is that typically they will want you to provide some indication of where your book sits within the market. I was going to say, do you yeah. need to have proof that there is you know, a need for your book? Or... You do need to sell it a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you can look at perhaps books that have come out recently that are kind of broadly within your subject area and, and perhaps some that are forthcoming or, you know, you... you 
probably won't know exactly what everybody's up to but you might have some ideas of you know where other people who are working within your field are publishing um, and what sort of subjects they're looking at and it's positioning your own work within that so for me it was fairly straightforward there were quite a few publications that people were writing about museum representations and there were quite a few people who were writing about uh, Chinese or Maoist communist Chinese visual culture yeah maybe it's I, helpful just to say what your book was yeah about. I was just I was thinking so it's it's called museum representations of oh god what's it called <laughs> uh, it's been that long <laughs> I've just gone completely blank museum <laughs> museum representations of Maoist China yeah from revolution to Kami Kitch I think yeah, so it was looking very much at the representation of Maoist visual culture in British museums through a number of case studies of collections and institutions in Britain. And actually, uh, when it came down to it, mostly in London. And looking at some of the implications for that, of that, you know, how they've been displayed and what that says about how the cultural revolution in particular has been represented in popular culture in Britain. So there's not a hell of a lot written about that so it was quite Mm. easy to position my proposed book as something different something that's perhaps filling a niche something that could potentially have interest and impact but which was a subject which was quite original and hadn't actually been looked at in print before so the other thing um, that you need to be able to indicate on your proposal is who the book is actually aimed at so is it say for example and it's unlikely that an early career researcher who was preparing their their thesis their doctoral thesis for publication um, would be in this situation but it might be you might envisage it as a textbook for undergraduate students you might see it as something that would work for practitioners working in in museums collections and exhibitions and that sort of thing it may just be a purely academic exercise so yes you have to give some indication of uh, who the potential market would be and where the potential markets would be okay so whether Um, it's international scope or uk exactly yeah yeah, because these are all things that um help the publisher determine whether or not there's a market market for your book Um, and then the final thing really that you have to come up with then is typically a list of potential reviewers so you're doing their job for them a little bit so it's people in the field that you'd be quite happy to look at your your proposal um and and ultimately your your manuscript so that's quite a lot to consider then. That's really helpful to set that out. Yeah, but it's not a hugely long document. And like I say, okay. you know, you know that you know your research inside out, even though it doesn't feel like it um, sometimes. And sometimes you forget the name of your book. It, it, it's not it's not too onerous a task to be really. Old. And sometimes you have to provide a couple of sample chapters to go with the pro- okay. proposal. But then again, you've probably got at least two or three chapters of your thesis that you're actually quite happy with. You might have to tweak them a little bit, but generally speaking, it's just, you know, attach them. That's one thing I really wanted to ask. Did you have a strong idea about how you wanted the book to be structured? I mean, for example, did it follow your PhD um, structure quite closely or did you completely rework your PhD in a new way? Um, Was it very different to the... It wasn't particularly different from my PhD because I essentially wrote my PhD as a book. Okay, so uh, that's that's something to flag up, isn't it, whether yeah. you actually do that? Obviously, if you've written it in a different style or taken a slightly different approach, mm. then you might have a good deal of work uh, to actually put it into 
the, an appropriate format um, for a book manuscript. It essentially followed the same structure as my thesis, but I did do quite a lot of rewriting and some tweaking and some honing. You know, when I went back to it several years on, I realised there were perhaps bits in it where I didn't quite agree with what I'd written or there'd been new literature and new research mm. that had been published that I needed to take into account. And you also have to rejig certain sections like your methodology, your literature review. There's certain things that need to be in a thesis that don't necessarily need to be so clearly defined in a book. Mm-hmm. I had one really big chapter that just wasn't working, and so I cut it into two. And I also wrote a new chapter which looked at... So though the book actually ended where my thesis ended in about 2008 with the Beijing Olympics... There had actually been, in the intervening years, uh, a fair number of exhibitions that had evolved collections from the case study institutions that I'd been looking at, um, including some that were actually happening um, while I was actually writing, and I felt it was necessary to address those. So I wrote a short epilogue, really, which went at the end of end of the book. Great. So how does it feel to have your book published now and out there in the public It was quite exciting to receive the box of complimentary copies and it was the most exciting thing, I think, was when I was sent the proofs through for the cover because that's another thing you have to consider. You know, you go through with the the, the publisher, with your editor, looking at, you know, what what Mm. potential images could be used on the cover and they'll put it out to a designer and and, uh, when you get that, that first proof of the cover, that's when it really seems real I suppose it's got your name on the front and it's got a blurb on the back saying nice things about your research but yeah getting 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 the box full of complimentary copies was really exciting but at the same time it was terrifying as well because it's a bit like putting your baby out into the world even more so than a thesis really because I suppose you, you you can get by by thinking with your thesis that yeah perhaps a handful of people are actually going to read this it's quite daunting is it because they're yeah. quite long and yeah Dense. But a book is meant is likely to be read probably you know especially if you're writing in a fairly niche subject like me, it's not going to be read by a huge number of people, but it's likely to be read by people that you respect in the field that you've uh, built on their research or use their research in your in your writing that you've uh, cited and uh, uh, quoted from, and that's quite terrifying, especially for a perfectionist like me. Um, and I still haven't quite got past that feeling. I, I don't really want to open the book. Uh, the, the one occasion I actually did, I managed to find a typo. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, but uh, the advice I was given by my supervisor was just don't read anything you've published. <laughs> just don't read anything you've published because there's nothing you can do about it. So is that your top tip as well? Or? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, you do. I mean, if you're then going on to write other things, and there there are, will be occasions when you have to look back at things you've published, but you just have to get a bit of distance from it and, and try to be a bit of objective, I mm. suppose. I was going to say, do you have any aspirations to write more books, or is it a process you never want to go through again? <laughs> I never want to go through that process again, and I think part of the problem with writing that particular book... And it's funny because it's a bit like writing up your thesis. I've, I've forgotten a lot of the trauma or <laughs> and the pain of writing it um, or revising it, really, for publication. It went on well over a year, um, but it, it all it's all kind of drifted slightly from memory. I think that's probably my brain trying to protect me mm. a bit. Um, <laughs> but I think actually writing 
a new book from scratch would not be nearly as torturous. I think it's the revising something that you've already done and revising something that you perhaps did a few years ago, which may have all sorts of connotations and experiences and memories attached to it, not always particularly positive ones. Mm. Um, that was really quite difficult. But on the other hand, I, that research has been with me since I did my undergraduate degree. So it had been percolating around my brain for a very, very long time. Good getting on for probably 15 years. And I suppose the thought of writing another book is a bit like that sort of second album syndrome that bands and musicians have, that you've, you've got something that you've been working on for years and years and years and years, and then suddenly you're expected to write something new. And you don't have the benefit of years and years and years and years and years to allow those ideas to percolate around your mind. So I wouldn't rule it out necessarily, but at this stage I haven't a clue what I would actually do in mm. that respect. And I think I might stick perhaps with... Um, I'm, I'm doing another co-edited book, which is quite a fun experience, and I think that's, that gives you lots of skills and insights into into publishing and writing and gives you that sort of that thrill I suppose of having your name in print without having to do all the <laughs> research and development yourself mm. yes whether I'll, I'll ever be in a position to write another book I don't know I wouldn't rule it out certainly after I'd initially after I'd, I'd finished straight away after I'd finished the book I was like never again but mm. the memory has faded so mm. possibly good I was going to ask you about book reviews as well because I know you've had a couple <laughs> which would, I thought would see quite well into the, the next interview as well yeah. anyway um, book reviews are really funny things I have mm. been reliably informed that nobody actually reads them <laughs> oh, I read them yeah, um, someone must do <laughs> I've had two book reviews for my book so far I have had one which has been massively glowing you know it's said wonderful things about my research and made me feel really quite good about it and I have had one which was absolutely dreadful, which didn't have a single positive thing to say at all. Four pages of complete and utter vitriol. Um, the person who wrote it really hated my book. The premise of it, what I looked at, just everything. Um, in fact, it got quite personal even. I'm not even. I'm not going to say where it's published because I mm. prefer people don't read it. I have been assured that that uh, you know anyone reading it would actually see the, that it is a it's a hatchet job and it's it's not a balanced review and it probably mm. um, and I think Kerry you'll probably we'll we'll talk about this next but I think you probably agree it probably shouldn't have been published and I'm not just saying that because it was critical of my research mm. it it really uh, um, even objectively it's a bad review so I'm hoping I might get a few more that just sort of balance things out a bit yeah a little bit. But again, it's that it's that that feeling that you know you, you you don't want to put it out in the world because you don't want it to be criticised because it's really quite um, you get this really mixed bag of emotions. You know, somebody really likes it and you think, oh, great, it was worth doing this after all. It's actually not as bad as I thought it was. And then you've got somebody who really really hates it and has been quite unfair about it really. And uh, yeah, that that doesn't do much for your confidence and self esteem. Well, no, but in a way, it might encourage people to read it you know yes yeah just to see how terribly dreadful it is actually it's not as bad (laughs) as this person saying yes yeah I mean essentially I think the problem with reviews is sometimes you get a reviewer who really wished you'd written a different book 
and they base their review of your book yeah and that's where it gets difficult because they're not actually reviewing the book they're not reviewing the book they're reviewing what they yes against what they thought it should be about um and they've completely missed the point so yeah that's a funny experience um i don't know if we should talk about financial remuneration as well we can do. I mean, sorry, that didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. Well, I, I just think because, especially outside of academia, when you say you're writing a book, people, I think, have these assumptions that you get, like, an advance, um, like sort of fiction writers or big-name fiction. Rowling. Yeah, you get these big advances and that actually you'll probably, you know, write a few books and you could probably live off the profits, you know, for the rest of your life academic writing is not like that at all you do do not publish you do not write books sadly for the financial benefit mm-hmm. um, there is virtually no financial benefit um, my book has been out since August 2014 and at the end of the tax year I got a check for I think it was something like 13 pounds and 41 pence if I hadn't been absolutely brassic at the time, I probably would have fame, framed the cheque because it was actually from Coots, um, which is where the Queen does her banking. So that was quite exciting. But yeah, it's certainly not going to make you any money. It might but buy you lunch. It might buy you lunch. <laughs> um, That's it. Um, but it's, it's something that you do for the esteem, for the kudos, yeah. for because it's referable, because it looks good on your CV, because it will encourage people to employ you hopefully <laughs> um, I suppose as well it's a it's a way of um testing out your own writing and, mm. and how it is received by other people yeah and I think I, I, I think in some ways doing an edited volume um if you if you if it's not why you should be doing it in order to make some money but the money potentially is more likely to be in edited volumes I've contributed to three but as a an editor um you do get a small share of the profits um and because they tend to be used as textbooks Mm. they tend to be taken up by more libraries they tend to be on bibliographies and book lists and so more students buying and because they're bought in high numbers there's higher print runs therefore the costs of buying them are a little bit cheaper so they're more affordable and over the years with those three that i have contributed to I'd have earned enough to buy a new telly. So it's not like big bucks, but at least you get something from it. Mm. But yeah, again, that's not why we do it. No, which is probably why I didn't even have it as a question. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. That's all right. It's just, you know, people outside academia, just somehow they just assume that you're well, making I, big I, bucks. And people are very confused when you say, no, no, you don't make any money from it. It's like, well, why do you do it? But then academic books don't end up in big amounts in charity shops, neglected, so... No, that's true, that's true. <laughs> at least you know it's going to be used. Although I kind of am expecting to get for my book to be remaindered at some point, which could be quite amusing. <laughs> Probably best not to think mm. about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, well thanks for that, Kerry. <laughs> um, so let's move on to thinking about... Um, book reviews then that we've mm-hmm. already touched on a little bit and so Kerry is a book review editor for Museum and Society mm-hmm. um, and I just wondered if you so it's a slightly different thing from what you were talking to me about mm. um, but it's one of those activities which lots of early career researchers who are trying to forge an academic career 
will get involved with either by writing book reviews or becoming a journal editor or, or doing doing some yeah. sort of editing activities like that yeah um so i thought we'll, we'll talk about how that role came about and what it what it's what what is involved but i thought it might be nice if you could just give a little overview of museum and society as well because it's an open access journal so anyone who's interested in museums and collections uh, can access it regardless of whether they're they have an institutional library membership or anything like that. Yeah, and the whole aim behind um, Museum and Society, it was founded by, um, I think, Gordon Five, Susan Pierce, and Kevin Hetherington mm. um, to sort of cross the boundaries between social sciences and museum studies. So it's a particular focus on cutting edge research, mm-hmm. innovative ways of, of looking at museums through the lens of social sciences, so mm-hmm. all those different kinds of political issues, class, mm-hmm. gender, race. But the the journal has very heavily been sort of more museum studies and social mm-hmm. sciences, which is um, one of the issues that we're trying to address in a, in one of the forthcoming um, issues, um, which will focus entirely on social sciences and, and how that can shape our perspectives on museums and galleries. I think will be really interesting. So yeah, so it's really interesting having worked on it because um, when I was offered the role, which was must be about four or five, even six years ago now, it's quite a while. The idea was to um, try and mirror some of those ideas within the book reviews as well, mm. Mm. because I mean, book reviews are an interesting thing. They're incredibly hard to get people to do them, mm. um, but you do get a free book out of it. Though. You do get a free yeah. book, and yeah. so I find them really useful for. As you know, as you say, as an early career researcher, getting your ideas out there, practicing your writing, and writing with different audiences as well, because you are writing for an academic audience. But there's so many different ways in which you can do a book review. I mean, I've tried some more sort of creative ways of thinking about how I might do them. These haven't always come to pass, but I've I've tried not just approaching academics, but also museum practitioners, mm. people, um, students working in the field of museum studies. So just lots of different perspectives on on books as you know as as an academic you want your you want books to be read not just by academics you want them to be read by Mm. museum practitioners as well and Mm. you know the books I get sent have a vast range from really dense philosophical very heavy theoretical books to ones that are textbooks for museum practitioners Mm. that look at practice and um, give you sort of manuals on how to do things. So you get a a vast range of literature to look at as well. How do you, as the editor, how do you come by those books? Um, Well, I rely on publishers sending them to me randomly or I apply to have them sent to me. Um, If someone tells me that they've they've got a book out that I think fits in with the ethos of museum Mm. society, museums and society, sorry. So they have to be, I would say, quite cutting edge, not your real sort of traditional museum studies approaches, Mm. but sort of a bit more radical, like museum activism and Mm. um, social role in museum, those kind of books. Mm. 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 So apart from actually gathering in the books in the first place, what what does the role of, of book review editor involve? There's quite a lot of work, actually, and, and it is a volunteer role. I will make that clear. We don't get paid for mm. any of this. So, it's again, it's, it's doing it for the experience, and you get to talk to so many different people mm. because part of the role, you have to find people to review the books. Mm. And this is... This is a lot. This is, I think, this is perhaps the hardest thing. Really, is is actually finding the people because you want someone who who's 
really knows the subject well, but who will also give an interesting perspective. So sometimes mm. I always quite entertain the idea of getting someone from a different background to review a book. Yeah. Just to give a different perspective, but people don't really like doing that because they feel it's out it's a bit out of mm. their depth and stuff. Mm. So a lot of my sort of trying to be radical mm. around book reviews mm. doesn't really work. Anyway, mm. I'm getting away from the actual process. So yeah, so the process involves finding reviewers, so that's what I call cold calling people <laughs> if I don't know them or, you know, drawing on my contacts, people I meet through my research projects that I do at this, in the School of Museum Studies. And it's giving people a, a deadline or an idea of the issue that I might want to put the book in. Mm. Um, I try not to go... The books... I mean, I do <laughs> wing it a bit here, but we try to keep as up-to-date as possible with books, which is quite difficult because it, does, it is quite a long process of finding a reviewer. Mm. And then getting the reviewer to actually the review write the back. review. Yeah, I've so, got a few outstanding ones at the moment. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the second hardest thing. After you've they've found your reviewer, they're very happy to do it. They say thank you, send the book. It's a lottery whether you get the review mm. back or not. I mean, most people are brilliant, and um, you get them back within say five or six months. I mean, I tend to be very flexible because I know how hard people work. But yeah, I can give people up to a year or so. I'm trying to be a bit more strict on that. Because you do get some like really old books in print that in being reviewed, and this is one reason why I wonder why people don't read them is because mm. they're not quite so up to date. So I try to be really up to date, but as I say, it doesn't always work. Mm. And also trying to get books of a similar theme reviewed. I've tried that in the past, and that doesn't work either. So mm. I think it's I've become incredibly pragmatic about it, um, and instead I don't hassle people. I hassle people once, and if. Mm. I think if they don't send it back after that, then, you know, it's just best to let, leave them to it. So I go for critical mass. I mm. go for as many review reviews as possible, knowing that I will only get about five or six back, so mm. out of every 15 I, mm. I, I send out. And that seems to have worked very well. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, it's all the, the sort of admin-y bits, so making sure that you've got uh, at least three or four reviews for each issue, editing the book reviews when they come back clearing up any controversial or problematic things that people put in their reviews or I mean I often I often find with book reviews there's a real there's a real trick to it you know you can tell people who've done loads of them because mm. they're very analytical very critical of the book you know whether it's positive or negative and it just you know it just makes sense it's structured really well and it and it reads really well other times where people are less experienced, you might get more of a description of the book mm. rather than the critical analysis. Mm. And that's where, you know, your own experience as editor comes in because mm. you can, as as far as you can, you know, read the book yourself, which is very rare. Right? I, I tend to skim read the blurb or, you know, just try and have an idea about it. It's trying to draw out from the reviewer, you know, can they be more critical? Is there a, you know, what's the book's perspective? How does this fit in with the wider context of museum literature? Mm. So editing them is a real skill as well, which I've mm. learned quite a lot about over the years. Mm. So I was, I was going to ask you about the skills that you think mm. that doing that role has. Oh, given me. Um, provide, yeah. It's given me massive appreciation of how hard it is to... This, the mm. less words you have to write within something, the harder it is. I mean, mm. I, I've written one book review myself. I'm trying to write another one at the moment. And it is a real struggle to mm. pithily, you know, explain what you think about something. 
and also in a way that's accessible to a wide readership mm. because you know the museum museum society journal i imagine has quite a wide readership mm. of both museum practitioners and mm. as, and academics mm. and they don't want a load of jargon heavy mm. densely theoretical mm. you know sort of critique of things so i try to have a range as much a range as possible of different styles of writing and of mm. course people are very different mm. in how they write mm. and it's always been a joy to me to get different reviews and, and just see how vastly different mm. people ad- attack mm. this idea of, of a book review so I think yes having appreciation of different styles of writing I mean editing has brought a load of skills um, has it ever has it had an impact on how you look at your own writing? Oh, definitely, as well? yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm of that kind of person who I've always tried to do different things to influence my own writing. I used to write a blog so I could practice writing, sort of things like that. And, and having this kind of, as I say, this overview of how different people write and mm. how they approach a mm. book review has, has mm. really helped me mm. think about how I do that thing as well mm. um, and also administrative administrative skills mm. have a lot of those keeping keeping in contact with people you know writing emails that make people want to do a book review mm. rather than putting them off immediately that kind of thing there's a lot of social virtual social skills involved as well and, and encouraging people to you know want to write a book review supporting those who have never done it before and might want to try mm. you know giving them more leeway about what's in the review so you know, if if they're not used to um, critically analysing something, helping them and hope helping them do that, so you are kind of supportive as well, and mm. for those who who are less experienced mm. as well. Mm. So, what would you say have been some challenges that you've come across while doing the role? Well, apart from getting people to do reviews, yeah. as I say, <laughs> and especially with more senior people because they're so pressed for time, and mm. you know they. They don't really need the kudos of, of writing book reviews anymore. So whilst it is great to have big names, you kind of realise that you have to kind of develop talent as well. Yeah. So that's been a big a challenge for me is is how do you go about doing that whilst maintaining a quality mm. book review for mm. a you know international journal really. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's been a challenge. And the other challenge is yeah deciding especially deciding whether a book review what kind of impact it's going to have on the writer Mm, because mm. I know of myself you know I know colleagues who've had negative book reviews and I know how Mm. devastating it can be on people's you know opinions of themselves even though you know it's kind of a difficult thing I mean as you described with Mm. your negative book review Mm. it 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 gives it is it can be it, quite it becomes more important than the that that you know i've had a i've had a really great review and yet in my mind the negative re- review has now come to totally dominate mm. the good review Which you it know shouldn't. yes exactly you just <laughs> you just focus on the bad and the negative instead but what i'd say is i mean there's some quite there's some really strict rules you can observe with mm. with book reviews so you don't have that position where it has you know said personal attacks and things like Mm. that which is why I would disagree with that one that was published Mm. um, from your perspective Mm. so as long as the critique is about the book itself and Mm. not the author Mm. doesn't make assumptions about the author or Mm. why they're writing the book Mm. you know it's it's quite simple as a book as reviews editor what Mm. not to allow and Mm. we've had um book reviews in the past which have been very negative mm. but because they have concentrated on the book itself yeah you kind of allow it even though you still might ask for a, you mm. know the language to be toned down a bit mm. or you know mm. can we find 
some you know you can find something positive yeah. in every book mm. I'm sure and that's the the sort of focus you take what can we find that's positive mm. and then you know sort of try and understand why this why the reviewer has such a negative response mm. to it mm. trying to understand that and then sort of looking at ways you know is there a way to resolve that mm. well the mm. final thing I was going to ask you and, and we've talked we've sort of touched on it a little bit just now but what do you think are the characteristics of a really good a solid sound book review book review when, when you get when you get a really just you know you look at that review and you just mm. think right perfect we can publish that yeah um haha now <laughs> it's kind of like I can I know it when I see it but how can I describe it in words okay it will it will start with a really good point about who the book is for why and why it's important within a museum studies or social sciences context mm. you know what makes this book a vital read why mm. should I read this book um it will perhaps describe what the book's about but mm. no more than you know two or three sentences mm. it doesn't go into great detail um, and then the book review will be so well structured that it will take you through the book itself like it will lead you through the reading mm. experience mm. but it will analyse that reading experience not just tell you what the experience is it will say why oh, it's so hard to explain but it's like it will tell you why wh- why reading the book um, was positive or negative mm. um, you know why why is it important basically mm, and that mm. that theme will run through the whole review really mm, mm. um i mean my most i mean i will say my most hated sentence and this is a sentence a lot of people use in book reviews mm. this book this book will be good for students mm. academics practitioners in the field mm. to me that sentence absolutely meaningless mm, because mm. It, it doesn't say anything it doesn't mm. say why it's important it pretends mm. to say why it's important mm. Mm. But it doesn't actually give you a solid mm. reason. Mm. So if the person writing the review can give you a solid reason mm. why it's of interest. Why should you read this book? Yeah. yeah. Why is it worth shelling out 25 quid or more yeah. on, on this on this publication? Yeah. yeah. And mm. I think for me that's the most important thing. If you can tell that from reading the first sentence mm. of the book review, then you mm. know you're onto a good one. Mm. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Kerry. So... Okay. We were going to make this quite a short podcast today, but we're already at nearly 37 minutes um, before we've edited. We might have some stuff to edit out. So uh, the last thing to say, really, is just to um, mention that today it was just me and Kerry talking about stuff. Um, But we do have some other interviews lined up uh, for future episodes. So we're hoping to speak to someone about the experiences of working overseas and with some participants of a a research project that we've both been involved in research and translation um, which is arts and humanities early career researchers um, developing exhibitions based on their research so that will be coming up in the next few episodes of the podcast the last thing to say really is just to uh, very quickly apologize for the sound quality in our previous episode um, we've learned to turn our phones off <laughs> while we're recording. Um, so apologies um, for that. And also thank you very much to everyone who's listened to episode one. We've To date, we've had 79 listens, which is Ooh. absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> we thought we'd get about five. <laughs> yeah, we thought it would just be people we knew. Um, so, yeah, that's put a little bit of pressure on, but it's also um, really fantastic. So thank you very much for that. If you would like to get in touch with any comments or suggestions or ideas for future 
episodes please do contact us um, by uh, via twitter we're at boundary objects or one word big b big o and you can find the show notes for this particular episode and our previous episode on our website which is www.boundaryobjects or one word.org and there you can also find information about how to sign up for the network if you'd like to for free okay so all that's left to say is <laughs> thanks for listening and goodbye from me and bye <laughs> bye from Kerry and we'll see you next time thanks for listening bye <laughs>